You're listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. Hello, fellow fantasy football fanatics. We are back with our first in-season episode of the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Asher Malk, with my co-hosts, as usual, Mike Brody and Dalton Cates. We got a jam-packed show for you today. We are dealing with the aftermath of the injury apocalypse of week two. We are talking about some trends early on in the season that we're going to argue whether or not they can or cannot continue. So why don't we just dive right in? I'm sure your fantasy team is decimated. You might be scrambling for answers. No worries. We are here to help. So we're going to, going to start with Christian McCaffrey's high ankle sprain. It's the first overall pick. This was the big fear. And now in Carolina, already probably one of the worst teams in the NFL. They've just lost their best player. But for fantasy, just Mike, is there a guy who you think you can pick up on that team and who can be a running back one like McCaffrey was? Or is this, you think that's too uh, too optimistic? That's probably too optimistic, but what you can get is someone like Mike Davis who will probably play 60 to 70% of the snaps, and this is a team that's going to be down a lot, going to be throwing a ton, and as we saw just last week after Christian McCaffrey's injury, he caught, I believe, seven or eight passes. So what you're going for is a voluminous PPR workload where this guy can slide in as maybe an immediate running back two and have a decently high floor because of the targets he's going to receive. Maybe he faces some competition from some younger guy like Trenton Cannon, who is potentially a better athlete, but they do obviously like the reliability of Mike Davis, and he seems to be the main recipient of CMC's injury. And with the Panthers, you know, the the, the fact that they're going to be down is still super relevant. You know, McCaffrey was obviously playing 95% of the snaps. I don't think we can expect Mike Davis. Yes, the same Mike Davis who was on the Seahawks has been throughout the league, who was actually a great prospect and early on his college career at South Carolina. Um, but, you know, he had caught eight of eight targets for 74 yards. You could definitely do a lot worse. Uh, Trenton Cannon, Dalton, do you know anything about uh, his prospect and uh, – and if he is going to be a threat to to Mr. Davis's workload at all, um, I'm not sure he's going to be a major threat. But like Mikey mentioned, he is an interesting athlete who was productive in college. He's a little he's a little on the thinner side. Um, he has his first percentile BMI at 185 pounds, so not someone who's necessarily going to carry the work the workload. But he's someone who they can absolutely sprinkle in. And he's someone, if you're in a deeper league, you might as well just throw a dart throw on him because um, he could potentially see a little bit more work this uh, week. It's also worth mentioning that, look, it's Christian McCaffrey is the best running back in arguably the world. And the offense is tailored towards him receiving a lot of touches in space, a lot of targets. And this is potentially a benefit to DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson, where now they are potentially the best playmakers on the team and changing their offensive outlook to get those guys going earlier, more often down the field, just incorporating them in any way that you can to get them going, I do think is something that we could see a lot more of. And one other thing to mention here is something that is interesting and we could potentially see happen 
is Curtis Samuel used at running back. He was a running back at Ohio State. He actually had four rushes last week. Mike Davis only had one rush. So keep that in mind that potentially Curtis Samuel could also see some of this running back um, little short action work that Christian McCaffrey was saying now that he's out. And the fact that they've waived Reggie Bonifon probably tells us that they're comfortable having Mike Davis handle uh, most of the payload in Carolina. And I think he could be a definite PPR running back too, probably even a decent flex as long as McCaffrey's out. But I do want to talk for another second about McCaffrey. And if you're in a season long league, do you trade anything for him at this point? I mean, you can you get an injury discount? Maybe if you start two and zero, you're gearing up for it. You want to you like your team? You're gearing up for later in the season. Or did we learn from last year that you know rushing back from a high ankle sprain like Saquon Barkley not always the uh, the best way to go? Do you guys have any advice for both redraft and dynasty league as far as what to do with Christian McCaffrey right now? And if he's going to be out for five weeks, what should uh, the people in the leagues do? I'll let Dalton handle Dynasty, but in terms of redraft, I do think there is some utility in acquiring him. If the price that you're paying is for the number one overall running back, then I don't think that you pay that high of a price coming off a high ankle sprain. But just like Saquon last year, even though he wasn't his normal explosive self, he does receive a lot of work. And I think Christian McCaffrey is going to come back to his usual seven, eight targets a game on a team that's behind a lot and receiving goal line carries. So if you're able to to have the type of roster that you can trade for somebody like that and still have a good enough lineup that you're able to surely make the playoffs, I think by the time that weeks 13, 14, 15 roll around, you'd be very happy to have Christian McCaffrey on your roster. So let me throw this one at you. Let's say you have, you started, you did zero RB, you have five good wide receivers. If someone offers you McCaffrey for DK Metcalf, are you saying yes? I think DK Metcalf, it obviously depends on your roster, and I think DK Metcalf may be too high upside of a guy, but if DK Metcalf is your fifth best wide receiver, and you have guys like Devontae Adams, DJ Moore, and maybe you still have a receiver behind DK Metcalf, like a Deontay Johnson or a Will Fuller, that you're confident enough in your team still being able to hold that edge at wide receiver, and you lose one guy who, yeah, may have a lot of upside, but you're getting a guy at the end of the season who's going to be able to fill out a running back slot for you consistently. Yeah, I definitely think that's a trade that you consider making. Yeah, and from a from a dynasty aspect, um, Christian McCaffrey is someone, if I own in dynasty, someone that I'm actually actively looking to move for another high, young, upside running back who can help me not only this year, but in the future. Um, someone like Jonathan Taylor comes to mind. It's funny. I actually, I was in a league of mine in which I own Christian McCaffrey and I offered Christian McCaffrey for Jonathan Taylor straight up and he declined it. So, um, I think we're at a point now where it's like, if you are looking to win this year, why not go get someone like a Jonathan Taylor or trade Christian McCaffrey and get someone like Clyde Edwards Slayer, maybe get another piece back. Um, something along those lines, that's going to help you for the meantime to help you get to the playoffs. And it also gives you that young upside of a 21-year-old rookie who's going to be on your team for a while, whereas Christian McCaffrey is 24 years old, and we start to see the decline of running backs in terms of value and dynasty really start to peak at 24 years old. So it's likely that his peak was before the season, and this injury is going to start to decrease his value just a tad bit, enough to make it interesting to go get one of these younger guys instead. Yeah, Dalton actually wrote a great article. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh 
about how you're pro- this summer about how you're probably not selling your stud running backs in dynasty early enough. You're probably actually too late on them, and you know this could definitely apply here. So if you can get something for Christian McCaffrey in in dynasty, maybe uh, maybe you go for it. That is uh, that's an interesting question. Maybe an even more interesting question with that is Saquon Barkley. Now let's start with just redraft. Obviously, we don't have the confusion of do you trade him? He's done for the year. Um, torn ACL. It's a real shame after seeing what a absolutely special player was his rookie year, high ankle sprain second year, and now of course in his second game, uh, you know, tearing up his knee. They just signed Devonta Freeman. We learned today they have Wayne Gallman who kind of carried the load in the past, but he was an active, he was a healthy scratch last week, but they also have Dion Lewis. Mike, for redraft, how are you playing this Giants backfield and how are you prioritizing these guys compared to maybe a Mike Davis? Look, I know that they play the Steelers in week one, but the Giants have struggled to run the ball. And I'm not optimistic about any of these guys being able to run the ball. So it basically comes down for me to targets. And I think that Deion Lewis is best equipped to receive those targets. And obviously he was the one who wasn't a healthy scratch last week, picked up the slack after Saquon got hurt. Devonta Freeman's just joining the team. And I do expect him to be more of like a foundation piece on early downs. And I expect Dion to play third downs, be more in the screen game, be more involved when they're behind. And that this is a team that I expect to be behind. So I think Dion is still the move, but I wouldn't be hugely optimistic about his consistency and about his upside. So he's not the kind of player that I like to chase. You know, my, my opinion on the Giants backfield is, and I think this could apply to the Panthers as well if Mike Davis wasn't there, is that there's not the offense isn't good enough and there's no player talented enough to make a timeshare work fantasy-wise to make one of these guys valuable, right? Because we're on a mediocre at best offense with a mediocre at best offensive line with a Devonta Freeman and Deion Lewis, who surely are past their prime, and Wayne Gallman, who was never viewed as a special prospect. If only, if one of them got all the touches, yeah, sure. I think we could be talking about someone who is a decent consolation prize if you had an injury this week. But if they're all three mediocre players splitting work on a mediocre offense with a mediocre offensive line, I just I don't see how you can prioritize any of these guys over someone like Mike Davis, even though obviously Davis's job is temporary. But he will monopolize the workload, at least until McCaffrey's back, which could be for a month, could be even longer. Um, Dalton, how are you playing Saquon and Dynasty? Are you playing him the same as McCaffrey, where it's time to sell where you can? Um, I think it's I think it's a lot trickier with Saquon because his value has gotten shot a little bit more than McCaffrey's because McCaffrey's going to be back at some point this season, whereas Barkley, we already know he's out. So I think this is actually more of an interesting buying opportunity if you're a rebuilding team and you're looking towards next year. Um, I really have a trouble time if I have Saquon on my team. It really depends on where my team is because if you have Saquon Barkley, that's a massive blow to your team to where you may not actually have the pieces now to be able to compete. And you're certainly not getting similar value back that you were before. Like You're not able to get a top five running back or a top five player, or maybe a top five receiver right now for Saquon Barkley. So um, I would shoot out offers and see if I can get, um, you know, maybe a guy like a J.K. Dobbins and a throw-in piece as well, or someone along those lines who has the upside to not only hit this year, but in the future as well. Um, otherwise, I'm probably just holding the L on Saquon Barkley and just um, probably looking forward towards next year and sell a couple pieces off. 
Okay. And any other thoughts on the Giants' backfield and the Giants' offense in general, Mike, now that we know Saquon is done for the year? Um, obviously, we liked Slayton as a young second-year breakout, and with the injury to Sterling Shepard, th- there has to be more pass game opportunities, and you can make the argument. I don't know if Evan Ingram is his normal self, but you can certainly make the argument that Slayton may be their best offensive weapon at this point in time if Evan Ingram is not. Um, if you believe that Evan Ingram is healthy, obviously coming off that list, Frank Fracture, um, maybe he's a guy that you buy low. He hasn't done anything this season, and he is obviously a special athlete athlete if he is healthy I would prefer to play the cheaper card and go for Slayton who I think will see an increase in targets and becomes an interesting player on a team that's going to be behind a lot that arguably he's the best weapon and I think that his perceived value to fantasy owners is arguably much much lower than it should be right now yeah it's a good point after such a special week one for Slayton you know we saw we saw last year what he could do as a as a rookie and now who else do they have to throw to? Are you are you targeting Golden Tate at all or not a priority? I do think that there's an increase in opportunities for him as well. I like the younger guys, and Tate is usually a guy that's owned. If he ends up being on the free agent wire, then I definitely think he's worth a bid as somebody that's consistently produced up until this point. Um, but also, he has that re- name recognition that I'm not sure that Slayton does. So Slayton's obviously my preferred target. Yeah, speaking of younger guys, the injury that probably hurt our hearts the most this week was to Cortland Sutton, a guy who we loved as a prospect who had a decent rookie year and then with pretty much no quarterback play last year broke out as a sophomore, a guy who we thought was a great value in the late fourth, early fifth round. And all of a sudden the Broncos go from like, oh my God, you know, they have Lindsey, Gordon, Hamler, Judy, Sutton, Fant, Albert O, blah, blah, blah. And now they have just been absolutely decimated. So the Court and Sutton ACL tear uh, is a definitely a rough blow, especially he was kind of going in that range where if you started with Saquon or McCaffrey, you were probably targeting someone like Sutton in the late fourth, early fifth round. Uh, how are you playing this Denver offense now, Mike? Obviously, it's just devastating to see him go down. I read a report that he actually tore his ACL after the interception that he dropped. So he dropped the pass, it was intercepted, and he was tackling the guy, and that's how he tore his ACL. I don't know why that makes the injury worse, but somehow it does. Regardless... I think that obviously this changes the outlook on the offense. Like the the injuries that we previously mentioned, this is the best offensive player on this offense. And we saw an injury to Drew Locke. I'm not sure how much that impacts things. It's not like they were a really pass-heavy offense, but you've now lost your best weapon. So maybe they rely a little bit more on... Uh, Melvin Gordon and How about our Fant boy Noah kind Fant? Of, there we go. Yeah, Fant slides in as the number one target, and Judy slides in as the number one receiver. And then it's not like either one of those guys are really alphas at this point in their careers. So I think there may be an opportunity for a third, um, namely KJ Hamler, who becomes very interesting as a deep add at this point in time. I mean, Hamler is a prospect that looked a lot like Deshaun Jackson or maybe like a Brandon Cooks. 
and was a little bit undervalued as a result of not participating in the combine. But any way you look at it in terms of production, in terms of age, uh, in terms of speed, this is like a 4-2-4-3 guy. And the concern with him was never talent. It was always opportunity. And opportunity is opening up in a big way. So this is a way that we can get in on a really exciting second round pick who could go undervalued in waivers this week as a result of so many big injuries. So I definitely think Hamler is one of the guys to be excited about this week. And this passing offense, I mean, Drew Locke is going to be reevaluated in a week or two. He might be back sooner than we think. He has a rotator cuff strain for those who hadn't uh, seen the analysis. Uh, so it's not a tear or anything like that. Uh, and remember, this is an offense that Bradley, uh, sorry, a defense that just lost Von Miller. They lost AJ Boye. Bradley Chubb is still hobbled. They lost Chris Harris in the offseason. They still have Justin Simmons, who's a stud at the safety position, that they lost another offensive uh, defensive lineman this week as well. The, this team is probably going to be, you know, they're facing the Chiefs twice a year. This team's going to be throwing the ball. And it might be a good idea to try and go get a guy like KJ Hamler or. You know, this is if you are a tight end needy, if you have a guy like Kittle or you are counting on a guy like Herndon, one of our unfortunate misses so far, but I blame Adam Gates. Why don't you go for one of our guys who we hit on, which is Noah Finn, who's caught touchdowns in both matchups. And is probably the best pass catching offense, uh, uh, pass catcher on this offense from here on out. But Hamler as well is a guy who I agree with you could, especially in best ball, like he, he's going to have a few games where he's probably going to have some deep touchdowns. Dalton, how are you playing the situation in Dynasty, the whole Sutton injury? I, I know we kind of sell running backs, but are you selling Sutton in the same way as a young wide receiver? It's so hard to sell these players when they're gone for the season because their value is already shot and you're not getting the same return on value that you would like to have for that caliber of player. Whereas it just almost always makes sense just to hold on to him for um, just the rest of the season. At that point, when you're getting an ACL or you're getting a season type injury, you almost just have to take the L on that player and move on. Um, I wouldn't necessarily be looking to shop him, but if someone came to me with like an interesting offer of another up-and-coming young guy whether it's you know maybe like a t higgins and a player or something along those lines i'll certainly field an offer but again i'm not not necessarily going out of my way to sell them right now i'm just kind of just holding the l and um actually more so instead of sutton i may i may just be trying to like over acquire a guy like jerry judy or noah fant or try and buy kj handler before he really starts to um get his true opportunity in this offense as season progresses like i really think that those three guys in Dynasty are the guys that we should actually be pivoting towards and targeting rather than selling off a guy like Sutton. Because I think all three of those guys, not only do they have the opportunity now that we were kind of wondering about earlier in the season, but um, they're all really good players. And I think that now is a time for them to really see what they have. Oh, perfect. And uh, I, I'm excited to see what Jerry Judy can do in the number one receiver role, even if it's from Jeff Driscoll or Drew Locke. I was always a fan of his at Alabama and Fant. I mean, let's let the Fant parade continue. I know we're all on board for that here at Apex. Um, the last thing we'll hit on with injuries specifically is with the Colts. Now, we have one victory lap moment here for us and one pour one out moment here for us. We'll start with the bad news, and that's our guy, Paris Campbell, uh, tore at not tore, but sprain looks like a PCL. He's out indefinitely. A place to IR, so he's out at least three weeks. Uh, this one hurts. This was a guy who we thought could be the tenth round 
guy who is a plus at your flex during bye weeks. He looked great week one. T.Y. Hilton looked a little washed. Mike, had, what? T- tell me how you're feeling right now. I know it's a rough time for you. Yeah, I mean, he was he was really a win for us in the sense that we like targeting these young wide receivers. We we strongly strongly believe that second year breakouts are the key to winning fantasy championships. And DJ Chark was evidence of that last year. And Paris Campbell, although a little bit more expensive than Chark last year, looked like one of those guys this year. It looked like he was potentially supplanting T.Y. Hilton as their number one receiver. And he was looking great until this injury. And now you enter this situation where it's a little bit difficult with waivers as to whether you hold him, whether you get rid of him. And even if he comes back in a reasonable amount of time, let's say he returns in six weeks is he the same player can they rely on him is he playing limited snaps is he confident in his body so there's a lot of concerns there and I think when looking at the Colts you kind of zoom out and realize that more and more this is a team that needs to rely on Jonathan Taylor and he is their strength and last week being up in the game they barely even played Hines Hines didn't register a rushing attempt he had one catch for four yards and it was just the Jonathan Taylor show and obviously if you listen to any of our past episodes we have nothing but love for Jonathan Taylor and I think he is really, I don't know if he's the beneficiary of this injury because he was going to get so much work before, but I'm not sure who benefits because it looks like Zach Paschal will uh, get some of this, some of the targets. T.Y. Hilton will see a little increase in target share. And I think Michael Pittman becomes interesting to target as well. I don't know that he necessarily is the profile of a receiver that will break out in year one, but he will see the opportunity. What about a guy like Moali Cox? I mean, we saw some serious skill out of him last week. I mean, again, it was against the Vikings, but I know they have Eric Hendricks, who's supposed to be one of the best coverage linebackers in the NFL, and he looked like a guy on a mission. I think he had over 100 yards last week. Do you think he is only viable while Doyle is out? you think we could see more two tight end sets out of them, or you think, you know, stick with Fant and Hawkinson if you went late round tight end and just watch Jonathan Taylor take over? Look, I'm I'm a big believer in Mo Ali Cox. I think he's awesome, and I think that the Colts have to include him more after watching what he was able to do with Doyle out. So I think it would be foolish if they don't increase what he does. But I think once Doyle returns, it becomes very difficult for somebody like him to be a consistent, reliable um, source of targets and a guy that you can stick in your lineup as a tight end one. Um, I, I just don't see it likely that they'll completely phase out Doyle, although that's truly what I'd like to see the Colts do at this point. I think it would be best for their offense, honestly. Dalton, are you, is it hyperbole to say that even for redraft, Jonathan Taylor is the third best running back for the rest of the year behind, uh, I saw Evan Silva say behind Kamara and Zeke, uh, is there one that you'd rather have than Jonathan Taylor this year? I mean, take a little victory lap here. I don't, I don't think there is, honestly. So, like, um, I've been thinking about this a lot, and I just constantly say top five. And then, like, when I actually think about it, I say Kamara, and then I'll say Zeke because they're both in offenses that are better. Kamara's getting more passing work, and Zeke's just in potentially one of the best offenses in the league. But other than that, like, even with this Campbell injury, like, this also opens up opportunity for John Taylor in the receiving game. We saw him week one get six catches on six targets he's caught both of his balls last week so 
this may open up more opportunity in the passing game on top of his ridiculous workload that he saw in the running game as well. Like this offense is just fully going to center around Jonathan Taylor now. Um, and it, I don't know if it's necessarily crazy to think that at the end of the season, Jonathan Taylor may have the most running back touches out of any running back in the league. Like that's the kind of offense that we're looking at in the future. Like, like this is someone that we're looking at top three this year. But I mean, for dynasty purposes, I moved him up to my number one overall player after Saquon went down and Chris McCaffrey's injury. Like, like that's the type of player we're talking about where he's potentially the most valuable asset in dynasty right now, and it's crazy. And I think that a lot of people are really high on Jonathan Taylor, but I don't know if they're high enough on Jonathan Taylor for the rest of the season. I think Dalton's right. I think that this 21-year-old running back uh, who's able to get this kind of work workhorse role as a rookie and with the type of production athleticism that he has he just has a future of success in the NFL and I don't think that even if the Zeke owner offered John offered Zeke for Jonathan Taylor I don't think that the Jonathan Taylor owner is accepting I don't think that's hyperbole honestly at this point and I know it's only week two but assuming Jonathan Taylor stays healthy what, what do you get, four to one odds that he is the number one pick in some leagues next year? I mean, uh, the, the sky's the limit for him. And so um, that is exciting. What about a, a quick hitter on Hines? I think the lesson we learned, tell me I'm wrong. The lesson we learned with Hines is that when the Colts are favored, probably want to stick him on your bench. But if it's going to be a high scoring game where they might be behind, do you still have hope for him? Yeah, I still have hope for him as an Austin Eckler type backup to the Melvin Gordon, who is obviously going to be better in games that they're ahead. I think that the Colts do have incentive to not... I mean, we're talking about Jonathan Taylor having the biggest role out of anybody, and we talk about the Colts having no other pass catchers. So even if he's sliding in the slot or they're manufacturing screen touches for him or whatever, I do think they have incentive to get him an average of five or so targets a game. So as a bi-week filler running back, I think that he still has value. Um, I think there was a little bit more optimism that he could be a woodhead type for Frank Reich. And I don't know if we're going to see that this year. Uh, but I still think he should be owned in 12-team leagues. No question. Uh, why don't we move on to a couple other waiver wire guys we wanted to quickly discuss. The first one is Daryl Henderson in the Rams' backfield. I mean, we were we were all excited about Daryl Henderson coming into the year, but then they drafted Akers. He had a hamstring injury, and of course, week one, Malcolm Brown scores two touchdowns. Henderson gets what, one carry uh, or one touch. Um, now it seems the pendulum has swung in the other way, you know, uh, Akers is dealing with a rib cartilage injury, a very something that's very painful that's not going away for weeks. He'll probably play through it. Malcolm Brown had finger surgery. He'll he's supposed to play, but where are you prioritizing a guy like Daryl Henderson uh, in terms uh, in the context of Mike Davis, uh, Gallman, Dion Lewis, and Devonta Freeman? So here's the thing for me. I don't like targeting guys based off of opportunity. Yeah, we're assuming that Mike Davis is going to get a lot of opportunity with Christian McCaffrey out. And I think that's a, a good assumption, but I always prefer to target guys with talent. And when we talk about a Rams offense, we're talking about a better offense than the Panthers. And he still has competition, but Daryl Henderson's a really talented guy. We've talked about him a number of times on this podcast. He was arguably the most efficient running back in college 
football history. Yes, he disappointed in his first year, but it was on limited touches. And now we finally saw him pop a moment that many of us have been waiting for. And there is value in striking first. I think the Rams are looking for somebody to step up. Everybody went crazy about Malcolm Brown because he was the guy who looked the most ready and stepped up last week. But now we have Cam Akers banged up. We have uh, an injured finger, and I believe Malcolm Brown had surgery yesterday. So I think there is incentive for the Rams to give him a lot of opportunities, not only based on the health of their other running backs, but also based on how he produced last week. And now we're talking about a situation where if he's able to string together a second good game as a really good prospect, now do we really have reason to doubt that he should lead this committee. And he's just a guy that's a lot more capable than a Malcolm Brown. And Cam Akers, obviously the favorite to have the touches in that backfield. We don't know exactly when he's going to be ready to go. And the Rams have incentive to keep him on the bench for a little while while he heals up. Yeah, and, and Adam Schefter reported that uh, they're, they think Brown's going to play, but they're uncertain about Akers. And in a game that could be have sneaky shootout potential with Buffalo, Daryl Henderson, you know, for, for those of you who lost McCaffrey, or those of you who lost Saquon Barkley, Daryl Henderson might be a good flex play for you this week and maybe even moving forward. I We all believe that Sean McVay is one of the smartest coaches. He's not going to stick with Malcolm Brown because he's the uh, the safe guy who's not going to fumble, blah, blah, blah. We know McVay is, is better than that. Um, Dalton, any thoughts on Daryl Henderson in the Rams' backfield? I absolutely have thoughts on this. Um, I'm, I'm just extremely excited. I mean, he's alive. He's alive. And this is what we've been waiting for. was just some sort of true opportunity for him. Um, and the moment the second half hit, like, he was getting nearly all these touches. Now, you could say that, you know, maybe Malcolm Brown's finger had an issue with it. But Malcolm Brown still got involved in the game a little bit as, as it went on. But one thing that not only had me excited about him during some of the, he broke off a big run and he looked good there, but um, as a receiver, they were utilizing him on wheel routes a little bit down the field. Daryl Henderson was close to actually catching a touchdown pass um, in which he was running um, straight up the middle. So um, they're utilizing him more as a receiver. And that's the exciting thing is they're using him downfield a little bit more. Um, he also which, he know, also caught one on the sideline, went out at like the two yard line, yeah, like on a exactly. yeah, so, over the shoulder catch. It was nice. Exactly. So like those are the things that I'm excited about that I think that he offers that maybe Malcolm Brown doesn't offer. Like sure, you can dump it off to Malcolm Brown and maybe he's going to get you five ten yards after the catch, but to utilize someone who you're actually throwing the ball down to, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards downfield as a running back, like that's extremely exciting for fans purposes because. You know, next thing you know, like he only has to catch a couple of those and you're a big fantasy today on top of what he's already producing on the ground. So I think that's the upside that we had hoped for Daryl Henderson and we just got a glimpse of it and the opportunity looks like it's going to be there. So why not just continue to roll him out and see what else we have in him? Because I'm really excited about um, what Henderson can do um, with this opportunity potentially as. Yeah, I mean, at worst, he's definitely a hold. Now, we took a bit of a victory lap on him there, but... We're even-handed here at Apex. Uh, a guy who may not be a hold. Mikey, are you, if you had to roster, if you had one league, are you rostering Dalton Schultz or Chris Herndon? I think that just based on the offense alone, it makes sense to take Dalton Schultz. It, it kind of hurts, and I do think that it's a situation where it's really a 50-50 because I, I don't think the question is 
the talent of Herndon. I think the question is, are the Jets going to use Herndon to block because their offensive line sucks and Gase wants to take out one of his best weapons so he can throw the ball to Braxton Berrios and Chris Hogan? Like, I I don't know what assumptions we can make about Gase. And until he lets Herndon run more routes and get out there and target him, I don't know how many weeks we can hold on and make excuses for Gase and, and assume that he will make the correct decision. Dalton Schultz, on the other hand, I don't think that we're really betting on his talent. I think we're betting on a situation where the defense needs to worry so much about Zeke, about Amari Cooper, about Michael Gallup, about CeeDee Lamb, that Dalton Schultz may be running wide open. And he's a guy that is going to get targets on a team that's going to be among the most pass heavy in the league. So just based on how much more they're going to score than the Jets and how much more a target is worth on the Cowboys in relation to the Jets. If, if your intuition is telling you to go with a Dalton Schultz, then I can't disagree with dropping Chris Herndon for him. Uh, you, you said you didn't know what to think about Adam Gase. I, I know what to think about Adam Gase. He, everything he touches turns to crap. That, that's, that's almost a proven fact now. I mean, how much money has Peyton Manning made this dude? Uh, I, I think the thing that can unite this country at this crazy time on our history is the hatred of Adam Gase for fantasy football <laughs> and, and for the New York Jets in general. Like, what is the one thing that people can agree on more than Adam Gase as a ruiner of beautiful things like Chris Herndon? I mean, it is, it is disappointing to see. Well, he was blocking on 74% of the snaps that he played? And you're throwing to Braxton Berrios? Oh, my God. It just... I, I yeah, I, You know what? I'm not taking that long, Chris Herndon. I've decided here and now. I'm giving it to Adam Gase. It's not our fault. Dalton, any thoughts on the Jets? Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't want to have thoughts on the Jets. Um, <laughs> let's, let's, let's think. Um, um, Chris Herndon, um, still, I still think he's a phenomenal player. And I still think you know, maybe this just isn't the year for him. We've seen all these guys produce once they've gotten out of the stranglehold of an Adam Gase offense, whether it's Devontae Parker. Um, we're seeing it with Robbie Anderson right now too. Um, Mike Isecki, Kenny Drake. Like, it can't, like it, there's a trend here. When you get away from Adam Gase, good things happen. So maybe this just isn't the year for Chris Herndon. Um, are are we starting again, the Chris Herndon to the Packers rumor right now? Should we just, should we just do that? Yeah, any anything to get him off the fence. I, I will do anything. Um, hey, that would hold Tanyan back, though. Uh, we like Tanya. About Tanya. Hey, whoa, Sternberger. Yeah. Don't get in the way of Jay Sternberger. No, uh, Tanya for Sternberger. Uh, speaking of uh, young players, in fact, that's not even a transition. I have nothing to say about Tanya or Sternberger because they don't compare to <laughs> this next guy who we are kind of high on. Traquan Smith, I mean, we were kind of waiting for this guy to get an opportunity his whole career. We saw it last night, and I liked what I saw. Michael Thomas, high ankle sprain, similar to McCaffrey, probably out for a few more weeks. We, I'm glad that they didn't give all the targets to Emmanuel Sanders. Uh, how are you playing the Traquan Smith stuff, Mike? Is Do you think he's uh, worth prioritizing if he's available? Uh, is he a guy who you're more excited? Like, could he be the Paris Campbell uh, for the next few weeks of a guy who you're plugging in for an injured player and could surprise. Yeah, I, I definitely think at this point in his career, he could be better than an Emmanuel Sanders. I just, he's more familiar with the offense. Sanders, Sanders is getting up there in age 
Smith just turned 24. He was a third round pick, really good athlete, great leaping ability, speed with his size. He weighs 210 pounds. He produced well in college. He broke out early. Traquan's a guy that we really liked, and I think he was always held back by a lack of opportunity. And now we enter a situation where they really need to use him. They need these pass game weapons. And they showed last night that he may be the biggest beneficiary for Michael Thomas. And I I think that's totally reasonable. And I think he's the guy to target there. Emmanuel Sanders is probably too expensive at this point. And if Traquan's on your waiver wire, he could certainly be a flex play until Michael Thomas returns. And especially if you lost a guy like Sutton. Dalton, have you uh, have you had many things to say about Traquan Smith as a prospect? Do you, have you done a lot of oh, research on him? We are buying Traquan Smith. <laughs> um, Tra- Traquan has been nothing but great since entering the league. And um, even if we go back and check out his prospect profile, it's, it's very uh, impressive. He came out as an early declare. We know how important it is. Had a third round pick. Has good hand size. He's over 210 pounds. Um, he checks literally all the boxes. He's in a good offense now. And then not only did he check those boxes as a prospect, but then he goes into his rookie year um, and he's efficient. 9.7 yards per target as a rookie on 44 targets. And then last year, 9.4 yards per target. So he's done every single thing right. And he checks all the boxes. And someone that we're looking for breaking out at some point and look sometimes these just guys just need opportunity he saw more snaps than emmanuel sanders not only week one but in week two he got seven targets and um and he got um 86 yards on though so he was very good and he looked amazing in that role as well so at least while michael thomas is gone i think he's someone that you should feel comfortable starting every single week and potentially if he continues to play like he has done now like there potentially could be a role for him even when Michael Thomas is back. I think he's that good of a player to where, like, why can't Traquan Smith be someone that we're starting for the rest of the season in our lineups? I mean, I'm, I'm with you. I, you know, Drew Brees, I think, has an A dot of 4.82, the lowest through two weeks uh, since, like, 2009 Brett Favre. Uh, you know what? I'm saying it now. Let's get Jameis Winston in there. The last time Jameis Winston came in... <laughs> Had a guy who had was a great prospect, but never got the opportunity, and he just threw the ball to him ten times a game. His name was Chris Godwin in 2019. Don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but let's put Jameis in there. Let's get Michael Thomas and Traquan out there. Let's stop the Emmanuel Sanders and Jared Cook nonsense, and let's get serious. Like I, I'm, I'm, I, I miss Jameis Winston. I'm gonna say it. I miss him. I, I miss him. You too. what? You all should too to see what has happened in Tampa Bay. Uh, I never. Uh, you know what, Jameis, you, even though you're a backup right now, we know you have some fans. Uh, are there any last uh, waiver guys you, you think are worth talking about, Mike, for people in deeper leagues? Yeah, I think that we all want to rush to acquire these players who over the weekend, due to an injury, gained a lot of opportunity. But I think that there's still utility in grabbing guys who are just potentially really good players. We don't know what's going to happen. There could be injuries in front of them. So if you're unable to acquire the free agents that you're trying to grab, there are other guys to fill your roster with. Guys like T. Higgins, who if there is an injury to one of the wide receivers in front of him on the bench, 
Bengals, Higgins is a very exciting prospect who checks all the boxes for us, who could certainly be a year one breakout. Like Hamler, he's a guy that we were interested in, and it was just a concern about opportunity. And in week two, he saw his snaps jump to over 60%, and there is a chance that he becomes one of their base wide receivers, and he's able to get the targets that are necessary in order for him to break out. So I think that he's a very interesting guy to take a look at. I also think that if you're really desperate for running backs in a deep league, there is the situation with the 49ers. McKinnon was probably either owned or acquired in your league last week, but with Kevin Coleman potentially looking at a multi-week injury and um, them having to play somebody behind McKinnon, we're going to see either Jeff Wilson or Jermichael Hasty jump into a role. I know Dalton has more specific thoughts about this. Go for it, Dalton. Um, I, I mean, Jeff Wilson's someone who's interesting to me because he has been someone who has been relevant. He's gotten goal line work. And one thing about McKinnon is I'm not sure he necessarily profiles as someone who's going to be a workhorse and getting all the work there. Like Shanahan has always been a committee guy, so I don't understand why he wouldn't at least utilize whether it's Jeff Wilson or whether it is somebody like um, Jamichael Hasty to where like they're at least seeing an interesting role and I'm in, in deeper leagues like I'm acquiring both those guys because I just want to see and I just want to throw a dart like last year that dart was Raheem Mostert and he hit and he did well so like why aren't we just trying to get a piece of this running back offense in which you know Kyle Shanahan's running backs do very well in fantasy so I'm just trying to get a piece of it whether it's Hasty who's an interesting prospect um, who was productive in school, or Jeff Wilson, who's seen some goal line work, um, especially last year and had some interesting leaks. Um, both those guys, I think, are guys that we should at least consider in deep leagues. Yeah, and I don't think their schedule is too difficult the coming weeks. Um, before we move on to talking about some trends early on in the season that we're going to analyze, I, I, I just want to say I think week two, I mean, it was, an, it was an aberration in terms of how many injuries there are. But it was a reminder that draft day is probably not the most important day of the year for fantasy. The most important days there for fantasy are days like this, where you have to decide who to pick up, who to drop, how much to bid on certain players, when to use your waiver priority, et cetera, and so forth. And that if you have a lot of injuries, you know, it, it, now is not the time to give up. Now is not the time to say I'm done with fantasy. You know, th th it was always a risk. These are the best athletes in the world running into each other, uh, you know, forces mass times acceleration, right? Like these are the heaviest guys who are the fastest guys. Injuries are going to happen. And if you don't want injuries, go, go knit, you know, go take up crochet. That's totally fine. But this is part of fantasy football. And it's something that, you know, you should, you don't have to embrace, but definitely you have to accept. And, you know, the whole poor me, I suffer all the injuries. I have news for you. Everyone so far this year has suffered injuries. But even if you lost a guy like Saquon or McCaffrey, uh, now's not the time to give up. If you're in a league and you lost Michael Thomas or Cortland Sutton or you didn't have Saquon or McCaffrey, guess what? The playing field has just been evened without Saquon and McCaffrey there. So it, it actually, in terms of just purely expected value, we don't want to see injuries. But in terms of expected value, you actually might be more likely to win your league now that those guys are either out for the year or, or hobbled for multiple weeks. So just this is part of the weekly grind. This is part of what makes fantasy football interesting and a risk and part of what makes it rewarding when you succeed. Uh, any final thoughts on injuries in general and how to not get discouraged? I mean, I, I, I think this is just part of the challenge, guys. 
Maximizing your roster is totally important. We talked about it um, during draft season where you want to try and give yourself a really good build and maximize every one of your roster spots. And here we are again. And it becomes very difficult to do. I know that with somebody like Paris Campbell, you don't know if you hold him or if you go fish and grab somebody from the free agent wire, but there's definitely utility in stuff like what Dalton is talking about in terms of grabbing these 49ers running backs. We don't know how healthy Mostert and Tevin Coleman are. And if they are more banged up and they're going to end up missing more games than expected, then somebody's going to have a role on one of the league's best rushing offenses. And last year, nobody thought Raheem Mostert was going to have the impact that he did. So it's not always easy to see, but the more shots you take, the more you're going to hit. And and I also am willing to argue that this favors the smart owners who know more, right? Now that we, uh, we have, I think the smarter owners are going to do better on the waiver wire, which makes it less luck. So I, I actually think this isn't the death knell that people think it is to their fantasy teams or fantasy leagues. And people forget this happens almost every year. So keep your head held high. We're here for you. We're mourning with you, but we'll make it through this together. Why don't we move on to the last segment of the show where we talk about some interesting trends so far in the NFL for buying or selling. So let's start with uh, the Bills offense. Are you, is this for real? Like I, this is a, we talked earlier, like we screamed that Josh Allen never passed for 266 yards. Now he is almost 802 games. Uh, Are you, Mike, do you think this is sustainable? Obviously the level at what he, at which he's producing is not sustainable, but do I think that the bills are going to be one of the better offenses this season? Certainly. I think that they lacked playmakers and gaining a digs has truly opened things up. It looks like Josh Allen is more comfortable. They have targets to throw to. You can argue that people on the offense aren't getting enough targets. And when you get to that point and you have a confident quarterback, there's a lot of things that you can do. And I think that seeing in week one and week two how many yards Allen is thrown for and the things that he's done is is just confirmation that this offense is different at this point. And we shouldn't be expecting what happened during year one and year two for Josh Allen. I think that there is a big leap this year, whether it be due, due to the progression of Josh Allen, Diggs, um, the playmakers around them. I think that all of these things are trending in the right direction. And there's reason to think that Josh Allen is going to be a very good quarterback this year and the Bills offense is going to produce at levels that they haven't in past years. And I think what most digs did most importantly is he put every offensive player in their role. You know, John Brown is a good number two wide receiver. Like he, if you were drafting today, he probably goes in the seventh round. I mean, he has had, I think, touchdowns both weeks. He's seen good target volume. He was a guy that went undrafted in a lot of Apex leagues. Uh, Cole Beasley, good number three slot guy, but John Brown's not a number one. Cole Beasley's not a number two. And now they have another weapon, Zach Moss, from the backfield. And remember, they play the Jets twice a year. They play the Dolphins twice a year. I got to agree with you in that we'll see some passing regression, but Josh Allen almost had no rushing production last game, and uh, that, we know, is still on the table. Anything on the uh, Bills offense, Dalton? Are you buying them as well, or are you more skeptical? No, I'm I'm definitely buying them. I think Diggs has really transcended this offense into a whole different dimension, and it's just going to help everybody else there. Like we may not see these massive passing weeks from Allen on a week to week basis, but um, I think just overall as a whole, like this is going to help guys like Zach Moss, Devin Singletary, um, 
And I think Diggs is going to be the main beneficiary in the passing game, but I think more like the running game actually will see um, benefit that we haven't seen yet because there's been so many passing touchdowns that Josh Allen has thrown. I think at some point that's going to regress, and this running game is really going to start get going. Um, and overall, this this whole offense is really going to thrive. And Josh Allen really benefits whether they're scoring rushing touchdowns or passing because you could argue that he's basically their goal line back. Um, one more note that I did want to make. We talked a lot on this podcast about wide receivers changing teams, seeing a decrease in production. And studies have shown that there is a predictable jump or lack of production when Not switching this year. teams. Yes, this year with DeAndre Hopkins, with Stephon Diggs, we have not seen that. And I think that when these wide receivers are changing teams, it's yes, they're not going to have the same connection with their quarterback and they may not be as familiar with the playbook, but there's this whole other side of the coin where if you're paying a heavy price to acquire a DeAndre Hopkins or a Diggs, then there's also a decent chance that you want to use this player um, to their max, to a level that potentially they're not being used at before. And especially when you're paying a heavy price, there's reason to think that there's incentive to make this one of the centerpieces of your offense. And we've seen that happen with Hopkins. We've seen that happen with Diggs. And it's definitely something to consider when we're talking about a wide receiver changing team. So it's definitely something that's not always predictable. And maybe it's something that makes a receiver more volatile where, yeah, we can see a decrease in production like we saw for an Odell. But there's also this chance where this team traded for this player because they really wanted to use them. And I also think it's worth noting that we maybe ignored or didn't understand just the value of the offensive system and quarterback. The Bills are doing a great job. Brian Dable and Buffalo is probably the best coordinator of the year so far. They've found great ways to get digs the ball. Um, and Josh Allen, you know, certainly isn't worse than Kirk Cousins. I want to talk about the Vikings in one second. Um, and Kyler Murray doesn't seem like a worse passer than Deshaun Watson. And, you know, I, when, when when Odell went to the uh, the Browns, we thought Baker. We I think we know now Baker's not great. You know, I think you have to also analyze whether or not the quarterback they're playing with is any good. I mean, maybe Eli Manning wasn't, but uh, great. But he had a connection with Odell. Baker clearly doesn't, uh, at least not so far. And I bet you. And but Danny Dimes a connection with a guy like Darius Slayton. Odell probably would have better stats in New York. So maybe just that information in a vacuum isn't all we have. Just that study. But no, I think we uh, we learned some exceptions this year for sure. Yeah, and, and speaking of wide receivers who change teams, Robbie Anderson now with the uh, with the Panthers, we have seen him absolutely ball out here in a couple weeks. Um, he's currently fifth overall, right? I mean, uh, Adam Gase, you know, he just he just had to free him. Robbie Anderson is now free, and we had been excited about Robbie Anderson in the past. We saw him, you know, a few years back. Um, finished the end of the season and he was a wide receiver one for the last you know few weeks and um, it got us excited about the next season didn't necessarily happen but he did have some flashes here and there but now it looks like he actually has a legitimate role in this offense he's currently 10th in targets or he's top he's top 10 in targets receptions reception yards ppr points um ppr points per game and he's been wildly efficient while doing that he's currently third in fantasy points over expected per game um, 22nd in air yards. He's basically a top 25 receiver in every single metric that we're looking at. So guys, is Robbie Anderson for real with the Panthers in his fifth year um, in the league? I, 
I, I kind of think so in terms of that he's kind of what we thought Curtis Samuel would be. You know, they kind of fo- fil- uh, funnel him targets really close line of scrimmage and as a deep threat. I also think it's a good thing for uh, for DJ Moore as well. You know, I mean, they needed another guy in the passing game, especially on McCaffrey's out to take away some coverage. I mean, I think he can be a wide receiver three the rest of the year, considering how much they're going to have to throw. And with McCaffrey's out, uh, any opinion on that, Mike? Totally. I agree with you guys. And I think that McCaffrey being out is going to open up a lot of touches on this team. And the fact that he was already able to produce in weeks one and two with McCaffrey there, now he's going to be relied on more. Maybe he'll get a little bit more defensive attention. But with DJ to keep the defense a bit honest and Robbie there, I think both of those guys have really secured their fantasy value during CMC's injury. Yeah, one thing I do want to touch on that, though, with Robbie Anderson was um, I had wrote an article earlier this offseason about tracking efficient wide receivers and when they do break out. And when it comes to fifth-year wide receivers, um, Robbie Anderson actually fit in a very small cohort in which he has been efficient for the past three years. So um, he kind of fit in that model of what a fifth-year breakout could be. And we're kind of seeing it now. So I don't think it's crazy that, like, Maybe it's not wide receiver three, Robbie Anderson, but maybe like wide receiver two, potentially um, Robbie Anderson this year, especially with Christian McCaffrey gone. Like, um, I don't see why he can't do that. Like, like, I don't see a reason why Robbie Anderson can't be that guy. And when we go back to Dalton's research, it really relies upon efficiency. And generally with these late breakouts, you see them stockpile efficient season after efficient season. And Robbie Anderson did that. And like we talked about previously, Traquan Smith is another guy that did that. So I don't know that we should be so surprised to see these breakouts from players when all they really needed is opportunity. When they got the opportunity, they were good. Traquan was good. We really liked uh, Robbie Anderson in past years, and I think we shied off of him a little bit as a result of him changing teams. But we liked him as a player, and now he's got the volume. I mean, it's him and DJ Moore on arguably the league's worst offense is going to be passing a lot. So I, I agree with Dalton. I don't think it would be that crazy to see a breakout from him this year. Turns out all you need to do is just not be around on an Adam Gase team and you're probably going to be fantasy relevant. I think that's really just the lesson we need to take from week two and from the last 10 years in general. That's really all you need. Uh, before we go, Dalton, any other any other quick hitters? Uh, like, what do you think about the tight end position? You know, guys like Tyler Higby, Hunter Henry, are you buying their consistency? Oh, I'm totally buying Hunter Henry. Hunter Henry, with two separate quarterbacks, has been getting peppered with targets and he looks to be like one of the most um, productive members in that offense. He has the second highest target share amongst all tight ends in the league behind Darren Waller's 27% target share. That's with Keenan Allen, it's with Austin Eckler, it's with Mike Williams. Um, we touched on Hunter Henry earlier, and we said that he's just a very good player, and we want to be targeting very talented players. And I think a lot of people are concerned about the offense, and even though there still may be some questions about the offense, Justin Herbert looks good, and if Justin Herbert continues to be the starter and he continues throwing the ball downfield and getting this offense moving, like Hunter Henry hasn't even caught a touchdown yet, but he's still had back-to-back very good weeks, and um, I'm really excited about what Hunter Henry could be, and I don't think it's crazy to see top Hunter Henry be his top five tight end for the rest of the season. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think they can, you know, despite the coach speak, Justin Herbert's going to make a lot more starts this year. Mike, before we go, 30 seconds on uh, Tyler Higby, pretty please. 
Oh, if I must. Um, obviously, I'm not a Higby guy, but I think anytime Gerald Everett is out, he's going to have a lot of opportunity, and he's arguably the best red zone threat on an offense that's very good. So if we can continue to see Everett not play or be unhealthy, it's going to open up Higby to have a very, very good season. And I think that's something that we can expect at this point. And even if Everett isn't hurt, like, Higby's been reliable for them and he's kind of won out this tight end one job and he's he seemingly slides in as a pretty secure top 10 top eight tight end at this point and that's clearly where the Rams are going with their offense you know I think the days of consistent three wide receiver sets are over and I think they know now Higby's a guy again McVay is a guy we trust to make decisions based on objective analysis not on uh, certain uh, long-held tradition or uh, beliefs that he's unwilling to change. So yeah, I think I'm with you. And that's why we're expecting breakouts for Daryl Henderson and or Cam Akers over Malcolm Brown, because Sean McVay doesn't spend a second and third round pick on two running backs in back-to-back years to play an undrafted free agent who was on the team before he drafted either one of them. Yeah, great call. Um, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna give an alternate view on Tyler Higby. Um, I'm not necessarily as high on him as potentially you guys are. Uh, for me, like I can, I can get the, behind the argument that he could be a red zone threat for them and get utilized there, which is obviously important. But he's outside the top twenty right now in targets. He has nine targets on the year, and it look, doesn't look like he's a massive part of their offense. It looks like Robert Woods and Cooper Cup are really their main guys, and they've also gotten guys like Van Jefferson and um, Josh Reynolds involved enough to where like Higby doesn't necessarily Tyler Higby doesn't necessarily stand out to those two in terms of volume so far this year so um, he's looked good with the volume that he's gotten but I'm a little bit hesitant to you know push him up to a must start every single week Um, I mean um, until until I see him get you know a little more time. Yeah, he's kind of one of those touchdown or bust guys. Luckily, he plays on a good offense where there aren't a lot of great red zone options around him. Um, but there's certainly he he wouldn't have looked so good without scoring touchdowns during the first two weeks. Yeah, and you know if you if you have guys like uh, you know uh, obviously the top end guys uh, or a guy that's broken out like and really shown he belongs in the top conversation is Waller but if you're kind of between Hawkinson and other guys maybe counting on Chris Herndon Higby's a guy maybe you could acquire for cheap um that is all we have time for here today on the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast I know ladies and gentlemen it was a tough week but keep your head held high the injuries will regress everything regresses to the mean uh just play the waiver wire enjoy football and keep your head held high Thank you so much for listening to the Apex Fantasy Football Podcast.